Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you today. Let's go ahead and have our uh, our Pathfinders and Trailblazers here to, to the head to the back. Thank you to all everyone that's serving in ministry for uh, for our children. So important that they get that foundational teaching about God's Word and about His how He wants to move in their lives, even at their young age. Uh, our children are not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. It's an old expression I used to hear when I was a kid, so I'll say it again. They're, they're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today, so we're excited for what they're going to have in their class today. Um, my dad and mom, Pastor Joe and Becky, for those, for those watching or visitors, are enjoying their vacation. They are down in the Pensacola, Florida area where they met and got married many years ago, which I'm thankful they did because I would not be here if they hadn't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they're enjoying, I know, a very restful time. I thought about texting my dad this morning and saying, hey, Dad, who's giving the sermon today? But then I thought better of it because that wouldn't be a very nice joke to play on him. Um, and, you know, today, it's, it's interesting. I told Josiah, one, a really great worship ministry today, as always, of course, and I said, I did not give him what we were going to talk about today, but it, a lot of the songs that we sang, and that's how it works a lot of times, really tied into some of what our subject matter will be today. Um, and I wanted to just start off today with uh, a couple of quotes. And uh, the first one I, that I found as I, as I was getting ready over the last couple of weeks for sharing today, the first quote was from uh, the Prime Minister of Great Britain from 1916 to 1921, which was World War I period, uh, actually, the Spanish flu, we've talked about pandemics recently, the Spanish flu was happening. He had to deal with, uh, there was an economic depression in Great Britain. He also had to deal with the Sinn Féin movement, which was an Irish like terrorist sort of uh, organization. We get in trouble talking international politics today, but that was trying to get the independence, allow Ireland to become independent. So there's a lot of problems he was dealing with. And in amidst a lot of chaos and troubles, George was asked how he kept up good spirits, and he responded by saying, well, I find that a change of nuisance or a change of trouble is as good as a vacation. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, that's, that's an interesting way to put it. I, I, that might be a perspective I need to change in my life as, as when get different problems come along. It's like a vacation from the, the problem you were dealing with before. And then um, maybe a little more serious quote, and this is maybe a little more to the heart of what we'll talk about today. This is from Reverend John Yates, who is a, a, a evangelical Anglican leader, a very good teacher of, of the Bible in that particular tradition, uh, and he tells a story. It was advertised that the devil was putting all his tools up for sale, and on the, on the date of the sale, the tools were laid out, and they had prices marked on them for public inspection, and there were a lot of very treacherous instruments like envy and jealousy and hatred, etc., lying. But apart from the rest of the tools was a tool much more worn down than many of the others, but it was extremely high-priced. And one of the customers asked, what is the name of this tool? And the devil replied, that is discouragement. Why is it such a high price? Because discouragement is more useful to me than all the others. I can pry open and get inside a man's or a woman's heart with that when I cannot get near him with any other tools. It's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone, since so few people know it belongs to me. And um, that really spoke to me as I was uh, thinking about a subject that's been on my heart and mind really for a while uh, that I think the Lord even put on my heart um, even months ago. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Last week, uh, Pastor Joe uh, had a, um, a diagram about sort of the congregational heartbeat, the foundation of our congregation and the, the different spokes of 
uh, how um, what God wants us to do through our congregation is impact family, uh, devotional time, servanthood, harvesting, etc. And I would argue to you, and I'm, I believe we're going to hear more about that when he's back next week, but I would argue to you that discouragement will impact every one of these important parts of our lives as believers and our church and, all, and any church that's seeking to glorify God. Discouragement can seep into our hearts. And sometimes it may, just, it may seep into everything or it may seep into maybe one area, but it can be very devastating no matter what. And so, you know, today I want to talk about discouragement and, and the question of where we turn and what it means and how it impacts us and look in, in the Bible as to some, some opportunities for us to learn uh, and grow. So uh, I, this would be the title of the message, Out of the Miry Pit, which is how I would describe it feels when one becomes deeply, deeply discouraged and deeply troubled. It's like a pit that you're in. And I showed that diagram, held up that diagram a second ago, it might start in one area of your life, but very quickly it can impact how you view everything. And discouragement uh, is, um, you know, depression, discouragement can go hand in hand. We always want to be careful when we talk about depression because there's sometimes we talk about I'm feeling depressed versus there is a real sort of clinical or chemical depression that's very serious. But discouragement can really come on you and, and give you the symptoms of depression even when perhaps you're not clinically depressed. So it's, it's a very serious human emotion. We're going to talk about God's deliverance in our discouragement, but since Joe Reedy is always great with alliteration, I decided we should we could also call it divine deliverance during deep discouragement, the five D's. So, uh, but uh, that's just um, that's just because I enjoy when my dad has really great alliteration and he's very good at that. Um, we can blank the screen out uh, if you want to. Uh, now, thanks. Um, so. I could ask today for a show of hands about how many of you in the last few weeks or months have felt discouraged. Uh, and I'm sure everybody could probably raise their hand, maybe at differing degrees, but everybody could raise their hand. And discouragement, first of all, is a human experience, a human emotion and feeling. It is not a sin. It's not a sin to be discouraged. Jesus experienced discouragement. And we could look through we could look through the New Testament and find many, several examples of how he expressed that this, this, at times discouragement. We certainly know when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the deep uh, anguish. He felt anguish, but I think also discouragement, knowing that he would have to go to the cross. But um, we all feel it, and we all get it. But I think sometimes we, there, we can all feel discouraged, but there are times that you, in your heart, become deeply, deeply troubled and discouraged. And it's a little bit different than just being a little bit discouraged about one aspect of your life. And, um, and so it can be, we know that, hey, I can go to the Lord with, we, I think all of us here in this body today and are watching know, I hope know, you can go to the Lord with any problem, any feeling of discouragement. But we also know at times, it's like, Lord, I take it away, and it doesn't get taken away right away. It, because it, it, it doesn't all the time. And so there, there's real challenges, but especially when we get into a situation where we feel just deeply disconnected from feeling like we're ever going to get on top of whatever it is that has discouraged us. And so this is the kind of discouragement we're going to talk about today that is, is like, it's, it's so deep. It's not just one thing that's discouraged us. It's a deep kind of discouragement where it feels like everything is getting swallowed up in sort of a troubled feeling. And I know, um, I know that probably everybody in this room and, and can say the time they may have experienced that, have experienced that. And um, 
And so let's first start in first, we're going to look at two passages of scripture mainly today. So 1 Kings 19, and then I'll go ahead and tell you while you're at it, you might want to go ahead and go to 2 Chronicles 20, keep a finger there. We're going to toggle back and forth, uh, but probably we're going to start with 1 Kings 19. And this is a really interesting passage. 1 Kings 19 actually comes right after one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Um... Those of you who know maybe what I do for one of my jobs would understand why the story of where God called, where Elijah waits for the, ba- the prophets of Baal to bring fire down for an offering on, on the mountain, and the, ba- the prophets of Baal dance around for hours and hours and cut themselves and hurt themselves, and they cannot get fire to come down and consume this offering. And it's a test, it's a challenge. Who is the real God, Baal or God, or Yahweh? And Elijah makes, even makes fun of them a little bit while they're doing all this about where their God is and why he's not listening. And then Elijah drenches the entire thing with water, and he just and then he prays a simple prayer, and he asks God to really to show Himself, and the fire of God comes from heaven, consumes not just the offering but the altar, and lap even the fire even laps up the water that's entrenches around around the uh, the sacrifice, and the people of Israel then rise up and literally slay all of the prophets of Baal that are there. And they basically accept God is the true God, and we've been wrong. And God actually sends rain then. It had been a five-year drought, and God sends rain after that moment. And Ahab, the king, the evil king, is witnessing all this. He's evil, but he's also weak. He's weak, and he's controlled by a, his, his queen, who's a very wicked person as well. They're both evil, but he's also evil and weak, which is a really bad combination in leadership. Um, and so, anyway, it's this great triumph. Elijah's been prophesying, he's been a prophet, he's been leading the pe- trying to lead the people to the right, what is right for years. And some people have listened, but most people haven't. He's been persecuted, he's been, he's been under attack before, he's been under threat before by Ahab and Jezebel. But this is like, finally, everybody sees it, right? Even Ahab has to see it, that God is God and he needs to submit to his lordship. So what happens in chapter, so that would be like this triumphant moment, right? Chapter 19, we'll start at verse 1. I'm just going to read uh, part of it here. Ahab told Jezebel, he returned and told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of Baal, the Baal prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So she literally threatens his life in a very direct and, and personal way. Elijah was afraid it says, and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself was a, went, a, he went into a day's journey into the desert. Now I'm reading out of the NIV. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He asked God to just take his life. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And I'm not trying to laugh. I'm saying, he just got done Basically winning, <laughs> at least you would think, right? He just got done making it obvious that he didn't. God showed his power and validated everything Elijah, he had been calling Elijah to do. And now he is so discouraged that he wants God to just take his life. He lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there was a cake of bread by his head that had been baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. 
So he got up and ate and drank. So he's exhausted. He was exhausted. He ate, ate and drank. And then he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And that was a, a very special place at that time that God would come and, 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 and be and his presence would be. And he went into a cave and spent the night. And then our last verse we'll read for this part. The word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> and Elijah says, all right, I'm going to let you have it. <laughs> Lord, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And he had been. He'd left everything to be a prophet of God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. This all happened in the past, but it was continuing. And put your prophets like me to death with a sword. I'm the only prophet left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So he fears for his life. He's fed up. He's, he's feeling sorry for himself even after the angels minister him, minister to him from God. He's feeling sorry for himself. He's afraid. I, hate to say, I, I said feeling sorry for himself, but that sounds like I'm attacking Elijah. He is feeling sorry for himself, but it's understandable. He's under, he's under assault. Even after a angel ministers to him, he's afraid. He is afraid. But at his core, he's deeply, deeply discouraged. He's deeply discouraged. I think because he thought he was that at that moment, you know, we're going to win, and now we're we're still in the fight. It's the same fight. I want to talk to you a little bit about sort of my story. Um, I would say the calendar year of 2022, and even on into this year for several months, um, as an adult, was probably the most mentally and emotionally stressful and difficult time in my life that I've had, sort of in my adult life. Um, and I'll share a little bit. I also am cautious in that I'm blessed. My family, Ruth and I, we're blessed. And there are people who have gone through much worse than what I'm about to describe, at least in the natural realm. But there can be an element of discouragement and uh, weariness and trouble in your soul it almost doesn't matter whether, you can try to, I've always been a person at trying to say, if something bad happens and something I didn't want to have happens, I try to say, it could be worse. <laughs> you know, other people go through more. But there can be a time when, no matter who you are, and you know, how closely you have tried to walk with the Lord, there can be a time where you just really start to, it just kind of, something happens. Things happen and a, con, a confluence of events can happen. It can really knock you off your feet. Last year was an election year, um, and so for me, I'm an elected official, um, and we're not going to get into partisan politics, I promise. Uh, we don't do that here from the pulpit. We talk about issues, but not, not politics. Um, but, you know, I also have another job, part-time legislator, and we have other jobs, and I, I work in sales and advertising, and a lot of the advertising I'm able to sell in an election year is, of course, related to politics and, and other types of sort of mass marketing. And really, for 2022, I was really, um, you know, overworked, in a lot of ways, um, a lot of that was my own, you know, taking as much business as you can find, but then it all kind of catches up with you, and really, for a variety of reasons, I didn't, you know, we, we, went, on tr we went on a couple trips, but I wasn't on vacation, <laughs> and that, you know, and that's hard on your family, and, you know, basically, I, I could get way into the weeds on it, but I found myself needing to do a lot of, pretty much everything I was doing I needed to do, but it's a confluence of sort of my worst demons, which is people pleaser, workaholic, worrier with ADHD. It's not a great combo when you then take on, if you're working in a business, 
where um, the deadline of election day, by the way, there's no greater deadline than election day <laughs> when you're working in advertising, just so you know, because once you're there, it's there. So just a very, a, a confluence of events, and I really found myself almost in a spirit where I, um, without the support of, of my family, I mean, I think I could have had a, a breakdown, not literally maybe a, a mental breakdown, but certainly I had some moments in September and October where I just was like, I, you know, um, I, I can't see, I've never, I've never been this busy, and it's all in front of me, and I kind of know what to do, but I, how do I get it all done, and, and people are counting on me, and the other thing that I always find it most stressful when it, if you have no control over it, you can worry about it, but you, there's, a, there's a worry, but you have no control. When you can completely control things, it can also be stressful, but at least you know if I plow through all of this, I'm under control. It's, it, most of the time in life, though, and I think anybody here who's been in business or, or any kind of uh, ministry or endeavor knows, usually it's that combination where I'm in control of a chunk of it, but there's other factors involved, and it just can become overwhelming. Whatever you're doing in life, it can become overwhelming. I think particularly in business or in, in, in like running any organization. Um, and, um, and that's true, I'm sure, in family life I know as well. So, um, you know, my family was amazing and supportive. Uh, you know, Ruth teaches public school in a fallen world. And that's also incredibly stressful every day and still is. Uh, not just because of the task, but because of everything that comes with that. So... We made it, sort of made it through that, that year, a um, lot of understanding, like, hey, this is, you know, and then the one thing to look ahead to was that, well, at least I'm going to probably get some financial benefit because I've, you know, had a successful year from respect of the amount of work I've brought in. <laughs> because of basically one specific issue, we haven't seen that yet because of one specific client issue that, again, is my responsibility but out of my control. <laughs> so it's... Instead of having that, okay, clean break, it caused me to be uh, tremendously kind of despondent as we headed into legislative session and all the things that I started to do this year. And then this year is a year where it was always going to be difficult from in the job I have. It's always a bit of a slower year, which is good because I needed a slower year. But then it becomes another slog, and you're still dealing with feeling like you didn't really get the full payoff of what you were supposed to do. So I, I'm laying that out because I think, oh, and then also just from my own personal opinion here, the election did not turn out well for pretty much anybody that I wanted was trying to help. So that was also bad and had to head back into my legislative job with some other things that, again, we won't get into right now, but it's, it wasn't great. So you had all of that coming together. And so, but I really, late last year, found myself in a really, you know, in, in September and October, really in a tough place. And I'm so thankful to the Lord and thankful to my family, but... It was at that time, I feel like the, I, I was crying out to God to help me. <laughs> and, um, and I knew, of course, there were probably things I could have done to manage all that better, of course. And, and so I, I think the Lord actually started to give me verses around that time to think about as it relates to being just troubled and discouraged. And some of those may make an appearance in the message today. Um, but the, the truth is, you know, I've made a purposeful effort this calendar year to really try to turn over a new leaf and make some changes in my life. Um, but as I said, it's, there's still, up until probably I'd say a couple of months ago, really was just really struggling to break out of that feeling of just real discouragement. And, um, and as I said, you know, the other thing 
when you're in sort of a position of leadership of any kind, and several of you in this room I know are, whether you're a teacher, a business owner, running a ministry, uh, working in, in the public eye, a lot of times people go, oh, I can understand why you'd be so frustrated, but it's not always the stuff people would think that's the most discouraging, right? So even with Elijah, I think he was not, he was not, dis- he was not so much, he was afraid for his life, but I think he also was deeply discouraged, wasn't he, that th- the people just hadn't rallied to, to the Lord like they should have. So he felt like, what am I even doing? You know, I'm risking my life. And then God literally smacks everybody in the face and says, I am God. <laughs> And, and, of course, I think that was the start of a turn in Israel, but he didn't see it yet. And we'll get to that in a moment about what was there. So, you know, again, I'm cautious that the thing I just shared is nothing compared to if someone's gone through a severe, you know, death in their family or long-term problems. There's a lot of things that could be worse than what I just described. But it really doesn't matter that when you get deeply discouraged, it's incredibly challenging. And so there's some things I learned about during this process, though, that I've learned, and, and as I've studied the Word, and I thought we could talk about them a little bit together, because I think it would help all of us. I, I have had, you have to keep moving forward, of course, and, and trust God, but I learned why I think we can get so discouraged when we face this kind of trouble and difficulty. One is, I couldn't avoid that discouragement or the trouble that I was in, really, by skill or being smarter or even trying as we do by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in holiness and righteousness, you will experience discouragement and trouble. No matter how smart you are, no matter how good you are at something, no matter how much, how much you read your Bible and pray. Now, of course, I'm sure, as I said, we can always look at things when we're in difficulties and say, well, I could have handled this or that better, and we can learn from that, and I'm not saying that. But no matter, I tend to be the kind that obsesses when I make a mistake, like, oh, what could I have done different? And I play it over in my mind, or worse, maybe spend your time trying to play things over in your mind before you do it so you don't make a mistake. And, and that's, you know, that's its own issue. We should be thoughtful. We should learn from our mistakes. We should learn from things that happen to us. But there's sometimes the world has just fallen. And we are going to experience things that are not right, that are not fair, uh, or that are um, just, that, that just hit at us. And when something feels like it's either not fair or just really wrong, and that we really can't do much about it in the moment other than kind of keeping one foot in front of the other, that can, that's where I think discouragement can really strike so many of us. And so first, we can't avoid it. You can't avoid discouragement, trouble, and difficulty. And it, it can then be compounding. So then that stuff all become compounding. It starts out with some stress about one area, as, we've ta- as I've talked about a moment ago. And the stress and the fear really grow when, when there's something hanging over you. And diff- it can come in different forms, but especially if it's something you're worried about, something that's like this big project. In my case, it was like 38 things happening all at once, and you, just, just, you wake up and your mind starts racing. Th- that, that's one type of it, but there's fear, there's stress. And so then you often will, of course, will make worse decisions, right? We'll make even worse decisions because we're stressed, we're tired, we'll, or, we'll, we'll, or we'll make worse decisions in another area because, you know, we're impatient or we're, you can imagine, I mean, there's so many different things. And we drift away, we can drift away kind of from trusting God. I realized at one point, as I said, when I was really going through this, and I continue to realize that whenever I have moments of feeling pulled back into some discouragement, I'm, I'm like, are you praying? I mean, are you really praying? Are you trusting God? Uh, a few times people in my life have been helpful in telling me, hey, not a, you're not backslidden, or you're not in sin, but have you really taken some time to pray about this? Well, yeah, I've prayed about it. Well, have you re- well I haven't really. 
like, Lord, Lord, help me. But, but I have, have I really prayed about it? And, and, and that's important to do. But then, of course, that can also make us feel, then feel guilty that, oh, I haven't been trusting God. You know, I, I, I'm so, that's so, and it makes you feel worse. And, of course, that's not the goal. We don't want to do that. But that can happen when we're discouraged. Is we sort of stop displaying our trust in God, putting our faith in the Lord totally, which is, it's natural, it happens. And then, of course, we can feel guilty when we realize it. <laughs> and, of course, that's the worst thing you can do because it's just, the Lord just wants us to turn back to him again. Uh, but that, that's very natural, very real. The other thing I've learned about difficulty and stress and discipline is that it is a tremendous opportunity for growth in your life, in your walk with the Lord, and even in your professional and personal life, and stretching. And trouble and difficulty, and even discouragement, can be, is a tool for God's glory. It's also a tool for him to discipline us. And in my notes, I made an asterisk when I said discipline, because we can often succumb to very bad theology uh, that says that, you know, of course, there's the, the popular bad theology of God, if you're rich and successful, it's because God's blessing you, which couldn't be further from the truth. Earthly blessings may come from the Lord, but that does not mean you're blessed by God. That can be, you know, the, the, he, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? There's also the bad theology that says, well, if I'm going through difficulty, God must be trying to tell me something. Well, he may be, but it's not, he's not hurting you to tell you something. We live in a fallen world. We, of course, make our own mistakes. Sometimes we are facing discouragement, partly because we've not done everything we maybe should have done. And that's another area where I've struggled to trust the Lord is, I know the Lord is with me when I'm doing everything I can to do the, and, and trying to do the right thing. But, of course, I'm human, so if I ever make a mistake, then it's like harder. It's always been harder for me, especially when I've done something I know that was actually wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Then it's harder for me to trust that the Lord will go before me and make it right. Because, well, he doesn't owe me that, right? He doesn't owe me to go before me and fix my mistakes. I did that. I was wrong. But that's not, thankfully, praise the Lord, by his grace. That's not how he works. That's not how he works. It doesn't mean there may not be some <laughs> consequences if you, do, if you do something wrong. But the Lord is not going to, especially when we go, oh, Lord, I really, I really wasn't completely honest when I said that. Or I lost my temper. Or, you know, any, you can think of any number of things and, it, like, you know, you can maybe use the excuse that I didn't mean to, but the truth is if you do something wrong, you know, I've always struggled when I realize later, oh, I, I really didn't do that right, and now it's going to be this big problem, and it can start to snowball. So, the, I mean, the good news is, though, the Lord, so don't succumb to bad theology. You can turn that over to the Lord and say, Lord, I, this time I stepped in it. I, I asked for your, your mercy and your help, and help me to make a better decision, turn this to good. Um, but, again, when you're going through something, you can learn from your mistakes, but when you're going through a time of discouragement. It is not God punishing you, and it's also not God like, I'm going to do this to you to teach you a lesson. What, generally. What it is, is he does utilize the things we walk through to train us, to train us to how to interact and react in future situations, again, for his glory, to help us to grow as people uh, and as followers of him. Uh, he uses it to increase our faith. Because I've, I feel like I still am not completely out of some of the things that discourage me, but I, I know he is pull, he's going to get us to where we need to be. And I also see his blessing in other areas. Sometimes the thing we think we wanted God to take care of, he's like, actually, I got something way better, you know. Um, but I'm, teach, I'm using this time of discouragement to help shape you and teach you. Hebrews 12, I wanted to back that up with Hebrews 12, where it talks about the Bible, and I won't turn there, but if you want to book by in Hebrews 12, the Bible speaks about 
about God. You, he, dis, he chastens those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. And a lot of times you could read that and think, oh yeah, if you're doing something wrong, the Lord is going to chasten you. And he, and he may. But he also uses the circumstances in our life to, to, um, to glorify him, to discipline us in a positive way. Much as if I see one of my children struggling with something that they need to learn how to do, if I just go in there and fix it for them, then they won't learn. I'm there, and I care about them, and if they get frustrated, I don't want them to be frustrated, but sometimes they may need to actually work through that frustration to learn. Um, and, and so that's kind of how you can look at difficulty and trouble in our lives and how the Lord uses it um, for his glory and to discipline and, and stretch us. But, um, but So back to Elijah. Let's go back to Elijah then. That was a little detour. Back to Elijah. Uh, in 19, let's go to verse 11 in chapter 19 of 1 Kings 19.11. So uh, for the next, for 11 through 13, God has Elijah undergo an exercise for Elijah to identify how he recognizes God's presence. And he says, go and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord. God gets to speak in the third person, by the way. So that's, God, God speaks in the third person. The Lord, um, the Lord is about to pass by. So then, a great wind blows through the mountain. Uh, it says that it, it tore the mountain apart and shattered rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, and then there was a, the Lord was not in the earthquake. Elijah did not see the Lord in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, and the Lord was not in the fire. So I said, it's a, for those of you 70s music fans, it's like earth, wind, and fire. But the Lord was not, the Lord was not in the in the earthquake, he was not in the wind, he was not in the fire. What was he in? Elijah hears the still, small voice, a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And that's when God says to him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? And I actually like that because what does God do? Now, God already knew because God sent the angel. God knew why Elijah was there. Of course, he, sent, he also sent Elijah to the mountain, too, so he knew why Elijah was there. But why are you here? Why are you here? And I like that he gives Elijah a chance to vent a little bit to him, face to face, to complain. Elijah literally says the same thing he said earlier in the chapter, basically, which is, um, Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. It means I've been passionately pursuing what you've called me to do sort of done everything right, even though, of course, none of us ever do everything right. But I've, I've been following you with my whole heart, and I've done what you call me to do. I've been very zealous. The Israelites that you sent me to <laughs> have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. <laughs> so he, he lays it all on God, which, by the way, is a great example. God's not afraid of us calling out to him and, and yelling a little bit like, Lord, I just don't understand, or I'm just so frustrated. But then God then, once he's done that, God amazingly gives him, shows him his plan. And he, he, pulls, he says, I'm going to pull the curtain back so you can see what's going on. He shows him the path forward. In verse 15, Elijah says, um, the Lord says, I'm sorry, the Lord says to Elijah, first, he doesn't actually give him the answer yet. The first verse is him telling him where to go. So he doesn't even... <laughs> He doesn't say, Elijah, you're right, I'm going to explain how it's all going to get fixed and then tell you where to go. First he says, go back the way, uh, go back uh, the way you came. <laughs> go back to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, you're going to anoint a new king 
So he gives him some instructions because we're getting rid of Ahab. He says, we're getting rid of Ahab. You're going to um, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, and you're going to anoint Jehu uh, to, be, to king, be king over Israel, and you're going to anoint a successor. He gives him even a successor because, Elijah, I know you're tired. I know you've got to be, you're tired. And he talks to him about how he's going to anoint Elisha. And he then explains how Jehu will put to death. Uh, Haziel's going to go uh, attack, um, attack Ahab. Then Jehu's going to put to death anybody that escapes Hazel. And Elisha will put to death anybody who escapes Jehu. So gonna be, there's going to be some reckoning happening that God tells him. But also, I think even more importantly, God, God really addresses, I think, what I hope we can look at. And this is maybe a little extra biblical. But Elijah was really also so hurt because he was upset that the people weren't following God. He felt like he was all alone. It was like him and nobody else, or maybe like five other people. You know, it was just him and a few people, and that was it. He really says he's the only one. He's the only prophet left. He says, there are 7,000 people, God tells him, that I have already set apart. They've been following me. You don't know them, but there are 7,000 in Israel that have not, he says they've not bowed to Baal, meaning these aren't even converts that have come back. They never bowed the knee to Baal, and whose mouth have not kissed him is what he says. So then, so then Elisha goes and begins to Elijah goes and begins to execute that plan, but we see God provide this entire path. But um, Elijah couldn't couldn't see it. He had to be in a place where he really cried out to God. But God shows him, I always have a plan. I always have a path. I always have a purpose, and I I will accomplish my purposes. Um. I just love what it says about that whole chapter. I've always found interesting, especially as I started to, as I was talking about some of the things that that I've dealt with myself. Uh, that it is really after a moment of what would be great triumph, Elijah then dis- drops to his most despondent ever. But then God is faithful, Amen. God is faithful to bring him to an understanding. But he had to kind of, it's like Elijah he had to kind of get Elijah's attention with the earth and the wind and the fire and the small voice. But then he was able to show Elijah and have Elijah in a place where he could t- tell him the path forward. Now, we don't always get that, do we? We don't always get God laying that whole plan out for us. But we, that doesn't mean we, can't ha- we don't have any less confidence that it's there. So um, that, that's an important point. So I want to talk a little bit about, now what's, how, do we, how do we get to that place that Elijah got to? And I do need the slide back up, the last slide, if you want to put it up for me. Um, and let's go to Second Chronicles 20. A little more alliteration for you today. The roadmap for rejuvenation and rescue. Because um, that's what I felt like I needed when I was at my, sort of in a deepest discouragement, is rejuvenation. I'd like to be, have it all taken away from me, too, and rescue comes, but sometimes... It's not gonna, the rescue doesn't happen until a little later, but the rejuvenation can happen now uh, and, the, and the energy. So in 2 Chronicles 20, and I'm going to tell you right now, as a testimony, I, I, during this really tough time, especially the kind of the roughest period of last year, one of the things that um, I have a very wise person in my life, my wife, Ruth, who actually told me at one point, you know, you really during the day, because I was working a lot from home, you really during the day, you need to actually not just work through your lunch break. You actually need to take a break. Which, you know, I, uh, I knew I needed to because she's much more diligent than I am when we have a project about staying on task. And I tend to be the one who drifts all over the place. So I'm like, okay. I actually, so one day I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to watch a little bit of TV while I'm eating my lunch. Which, you know, 
isn't a big deal normally, but I felt like I couldn't even look away from my email for, you know, all day into the night. Um, the, variety, the way that I work, it's a lot of email. Anyway, and I happened to be flipping by a channel, and there was a preacher on TV, and actually the theology of this particular preacher, um, this particular pastor, um, it, I'm not sure I agree with his theology on a lot of things. He's uh, kind of one of these hip guys that's super cool, but sometimes he says things that I've heard that I'm not sure are actually totally biblical. However, if the Lord can use a donkey <laughs> to speak, he can use anybody. And he happened to be, I flipped by, uh, and this person's a good presenter, so it's nice, to, sometimes it's good to hear a presenter, even if you don't agree with everything they say. But I, he was talking about Second Chronicles 20. And I, and I started reading Second Chronicles 20, and, um, and I was just blown away that right in the moment of what I was experiencing, this, this pathway, so I've, uh, in Second Chronicles 20, uh, Jehoshaphat, who was a righteous king of Judah, is facing a very serious challenge. Jehoshaphat restored the kingdom to God in Judah. He tore down high places, much like Elijah, where Elijah was doing the right things. Jehoshaphat was a righteous king who, who had torn down high places, got rid of the idols. He'd gone beyond. There were other kings that had been righteous but hadn't gone as far as he had. He'd literally gotten rid of a lot of the stuff that was really bad in the, in the nation. Not just the surfacey stuff, but he'd really, he'd, when he removed the high places, when the Bible says that, that was something most of the kings didn't bother with that. The high places where they'd, these pagans would go and worship other gods. So other kings would get rid of like the idols, but they'd leave the high places alone. But he, Joshua got rid of the high places. He was walking with God as he should have. Um, but then, uh, and we'll start in verse, um, in verse 1, the... the uh, or verse 2, men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea, and they're on the way. It talks about some of the places they're marching through. And so Jehoshaphat was alarmed, and he resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord, and indeed they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Um, and so then Jehoshaphat, um, First thing he did, so the first thing Jehoshaphat did when faced with this terrible challenge, and this is the first thing we need to do when we are facing incredible discouragement, difficulty, and trouble. We have to humble ourselves first. We have to humble ourselves first. Now, some people that are in deep discouragement and trouble may feel like, I'm already humbled. I'm already humbled. We have to say, I'm going to lay down all the things that I care about at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to lay down everything that I care about and put it in his hands. That's kind of what I meant earlier about talking, you say, oh, I am trusting God, I am praying, but am I really really laying it down? Am I asking the Holy Spirit to help me to lay down every concern, care, and fear and put it at the feet of Jesus? Um, and, and then he called a fast, too. So Joshua said, let's, let's fast, let's bring everybody together. We are, we're all hands on deck here spiritually. We are gonna, we're going we to show the Lord we're serious, right? Now, I'm not telling you to stop eating if you're discouraged, but you know, a, a day of fasting and prayer probably wouldn't kill you uh, if you're really facing a difficult time. But, but we want to we be focused um, on humbling ourselves and putting things before the Lord. And then number two, this is, where, um, this is what I thought was really interesting, and this is actually what that particular person had highlighted, and I, I read more about it. We want to proclaim our trust in God and remind ourselves of what he's done. And in 2 Chronicles, in, in verse 6, Jehoshaphat, kind of under the guise of reminding God, almost like he's reminding God, he's reminding the people and all of them of what God has done. He says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands. No one can withstand you. 
Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it, built a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. And then he goes on to say that now there are men coming. There are men coming uh, to try to take over, to invade and take us over. And... and um, in verse 12, it says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And what he does is he says, he strengthens their heart by, by appealing to God in his nature and saying, it's very dangerous for people who, another bad theology alert, sometimes people say you can command God to do things. You under no circumstances should ever tell God to do something. He, he should do something. You, you ask and you appeal to God and you say, Lord, I want your will for my life, but I do pray in this circumstance. I, I need you. My eyes are on you. But what they do is, in, under the guise of reminding God what he's already done, he's telling the people and himself. He's telling people and himself, our eyes are on the Lord and that um, the nations are watching. And we know God will not let us fail. We should remind ourselves what he's done. And some of these verses that we're going over today are a great way to remind ourselves that God has been faithful through every circumstance. Um, it's an opportunity during that time to say, um, we are going to keep our eyes on you. We cry out to God in our distress. Truly cry out to him in our distress. Number three, as we try to have a roadmap for, for the rejuvenation of our souls, we have to put God's word in our heart. Put God's word in our heart. We've got a couple passages here, but, you know, sometimes at moments of deep discouragement, if we really spend some time studying God's word, there's opportunities to really be encouraged and strengthened and touched. You know, Psalm 143.8 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Psalm 140, uh, verses 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. And you don't have to wait till you're at your most desperate to do this, by the way. You can do this anytime, uh, no matter where you are, no matter what sort of frustration you may find yourself, is you can rise in the morning and you can say, Lord, bring me word of your unfailing love today. Help me today, Lord. Bring me word of your unfailing love. I trust you. I'm claiming this promise that you will bring me. Your, your, that your unfailing love is with me. You will bring me word throughout the day of it as I deal with tough circumstances, I deal with problems. You can have confidence, as Psalm 140 said, that, that he will lift you out of despair. He will lift you out of despair um, as we put our trust in him. Number four, we have to praise him. We should praise God in advance of the answer, no matter the circumstance. So in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, Early in the morning, um, they spent some other time worshiping, and the other there's the rest of that chapter is really great to read. But I'm skipping ahead to verse 20 because it talks about when they've embarked to go out. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood up and said, "Listen to me, Judah and people of Israel. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in His prophets, and you will be successful." And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. 
who were invading Judah and they were defeated. And it goes on to talk about some of the confusion that the Lord brought against a superior army to deliver Judah. But Judah started out, they walked out in advance of the answer. They were already praising him on the way to the war, on the way to the battle. They didn't know God was going to cast all those soldiers into confusion. and They didn't know. But they knew they had a promise from God. But they didn't know. So they praised him in advance of the answer. There's really nothing better we can do when we find ourselves in those kind of circumstances is to, and it can be hard, because I want the, the Lord to take some things away from me when I was very discouraged. And, uh, and of course, you can pray and ask the Lord to remove those burdens, certain burdens, and not everything is equal. There's some things that, you know, Lord, please, I, I prayed you remove this obstacle. You know, that, that's a great prayer to pray. But it's also, Lord, help me as I battle to do what you've called me to do. And I'm praising you in advance, knowing that your plan will prevail in the situation, and that you have good things in store for me and my family. The last thing is, so we've got to humble ourselves. Then we want to proclaim our trust in God and remind our souls of what God has done. And yes, pray to him and say, Lord, I remember that you did this. I know that you will do this. We put God's word in our hearts continually. We praise him in advance of the answer. And then finally, number five, we remain faithful, putting one foot in front of the other and watch as God provides the solution. And oftentimes it's a novel solution. I sort of stepped on my last point because I've told you already, God confused, he confused all of those, those enemy armies and they struck each other down and killed each other. And, um, and then in uh, 1 Kings 19, when we go back, I can go back to 1 Kings 19 because 1915, which I covered, but that was a novel solution as well. He came up with a different way to put some different, a different king in charge uh, and sort of a layered approach to taking out King Ahab and restoring righteous people to the throne of Israel. But you know what? Jehu didn't end up being 100% righteous either. So we're in a fallen world. God's plans will prevail, but there will always be battles. There will always be struggles. So Jehu was overall, uh, probably on balance, a better king than bad, but he wasn't perfect either. <laughs> so there's always a battle, right? And that's, that's how you can also be discouraged. And in my life and line of work right now, it's sort of like, well, I just feel like I've been battling and you get a little victory and then something else happens, you have to keep fighting. But you know, that's what God's called us to do here. Um, but in our, own, in our own personal lives and in the struggles that we, many of us I know have encountered uh, in, in relationships, in families, in, in, in a business, or in an organization, as God, where we know God's called us. The, 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 way to, the overcoming of discouragement is really to humble ourselves, proclaiming our trust in God, and reminding ourselves of what he's done, putting his word in our hearts, praising him in advance of the answer, and remaining faithful, knowing that the solution I might come up with is not always, is not maybe going to be God's solution. And in fact, that's even more encouraging when I don't, can't think of a solution to know God has infinite tools in his tool belt. The devil has tools. God has infinite ways that he can accomplish his purposes. And even if I make mistakes and have done things that were, like I didn't do my best here and now I'm scrambling and that's why I'm discouraged. God, God's not, God's not going to leave us because we made a mistake. Instead he's like, no, actually I've got a different tool for that. But I need your trust and, uh, and I need you to trust me and he will provide a solution. Um, and I don't know where you are today in relation to this message. Anybody here or anybody watching, um, as I said, I do know that each of us have faced and will face everyday discouragement and trouble. And then also we will at times in our lives face deep, deep hurt and discouragement and deep troubled souls. We will. It's, it's a fact of, of life. Important thing for us to remember, and the Bible shows us in so many ways, and these two particular passages I just really love, God is with us. He's working. 
God is good. He is good. Even when bad things happen, he is good. And um, I called this deliverance during discouragement when I put it up on the screen. Because in God's infinite wisdom, goodness, and sovereignty, he just doesn't make it disappear all the time. He doesn't. Uh, he uses it for his glory. He uses it for our betterment. And, and while he's bringing us out, though, we can have confidence. He's bringing us out of that trouble. He may not always take it all away the way we would like him to. But he is bringing us out and he's using it for his glory and for our good. So I'll ask you to just join me in prayer right now as we pray in this area. And if anybody here has a need um, right now, I, you know, I just, um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I think probably everybody here could raise their hand, as I said. But especially right now, I just want to pray for anybody here who is dealing with this kind of sort of deep discouragement, disillusionment. And I'm going to lift that up to the Lord today. Lord God, we thank you today that as your word says, you are triumphant over all. Lord, as Second Chronicles says, you are the God who's in heaven and you rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. We've watched as you drove out the inhabitants of Israel. You've driven out evil in our lives before, Lord. And you'll do it again. We know you will do it again. We're so thankful for that knowledge and that trust. Our eyes are on you, Lord God. I pray that each day that you would encourage the people here today, those that may be dealing with a deep kind of hurt and discouragement that has just made it hard to do. Sometimes it can make us feel like we can't do anything. We're just sitting there trying to figure out what to do next. Lord, that you will, you will, your word will bring, you will bring unfailing love to us. You'll bring word of your unfailing love, as Psalm says. As we keep our eyes on you, I pray that you'd give each person here today encouragement and strength. I can't speak the right word to each person because if somebody had tried to encourage me in October of last year, they probably would not have been able to say the right thing because they wouldn't understand it completely. But you did, and you do. So today, I pray that your spirit would touch each person today, especially those dealing with real pain and discouragement. Speak to their hearts, encourage and strengthen each of us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that there will be testimonies that come out of whatever we may be going through right now. There will be testimonies that we can walk ahead and share with others to bring more people to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. And I ask today, Lord, uh, that you'd bless each person as we go forward, that you'd bring us back safely next week to learn and grow together. And we thank you in Jesus' name.